everybody. This is Jess from Lit. And this is PJ from Conspiracy Pilled. And we're here to bring you the top 10 books you should read if you're interested in conspiracies. Yeah, I'm very excited to do this video. I, I looked a little bit at Jess's list before we got started, and I noticed that most of her list was fiction, and I and I, which is great because there's so many great fiction novels that I think every conspiracy theorist should read. And I'm always saying to people that con- you know, there's so much so much knowledge and wisdom and, and great things to get out of fiction. But I decided I would do a little bit of fiction and I would add in some of my favorite, uh, I guess maybe you could call them nonfiction, but when you're in conspiracy, sometimes it's a little hard to tell with, with a couple of these I'll be talking about. Uh, but some really great books all the way around that I think every conspiracy theorist should check out. Um, and we're going to do a top 10 list. We're going to go from 10 to one in no particular order. Cause I'm my, my order would change every time you asked me. So uh, what do you got for us at number 10, Jess? All right. So for number 10, I have Catch-22 by Joseph Heller. It's a satirical war novel that follows an anti-hero, Captain John Yossarian, a U.S. Army Forces B-25 bombardier. And this book basically looks at the absurdity of war. It's crazy funny. It's dark humor. And it's really dark in other parts, as you can imagine, because we are dealing with the realities of war. And what makes it really interesting is because it's looking at that nature of the military industrial complex, how soldiers are manipulated in the larger chess match of war, and just how tragic war is. And I think that's really good if you're interested in those types of conspiracies surrounding the military. I this is where I have to admit that the public school system really failed me (laughs) because I think a lot of people read this in school and I, I didn't. And it's on my list and I've just never gotten around to it. And it, and it sucks because I know so much about this book and I was in the military. I have a dark sense of humor. It sounds it sounds like it would be my perfect book. Yeah. And I just haven't gotten around to it yet. So now I'm just going to bump move it, it up the list. I'm going to bump it up the list towards the top because that's that's one I've just got to get through uh, for me at number 10. And I think you read this one uh, is One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest by Ken Kesey. And I put it here for two interesting, two interesting reasons. And one of the reasons is that it's it's a book about uh, the the mental health system and the problems with that. And and deep down, it's a book about this the soft tyranny of of this matriarchal system that they're in. And I think we've seen America kind of move in, in the direction of this book in a lot of ways. And what it just what it takes to actually be a man in that system and to stand up and and be unpopular. Um, so really great all around for that. But the, int- the other interesting thing for me is that when it comes to MK Ultra stuff, Ken Kesey was one of the guys who drove around in his magic school bus and handed out LSD to people. So in this book, it's like, hey, isn't it kind of weird that we're just like nicely drugging people into a, you know, into a stupor and like how awful that is? Oh, by the way, the government created LSD. What if I just go around and like help them brainwash the population through drugs? Oh my gosh. No. Who wants to buy some drugs? It's like, hey, read my book that tells you how bad the government and how the government is drugging people. Also, buy the drugs from the government. I know. I'll never understand it. Ken Kesey's the most, like, interesting, yeah, figure to me with the whole MK Ultra stuff. Because his book, if you read it, you would think, oh, this is a guy who gets it. This is a guy who's, like, not going to drug himself right. with LSD. But then, you know, big LSD guy, so... He totally is. And uh, that is unfortunately a common theme we'll see with some of these authors that we get into. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's not not, a number one spot that has an author like that, I noticed. So uh, but what's what's your uh, number nine? 
All right, so my number nine is The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. Very good movie. The movie does a great job of summarizing the book, even though the book is absolutely enormous. It's like five or 600 pages. The audiobook's probably even longer. But it's like just 30, a, 35 or 40 hours or right. something really long. Might maybe longer. But it's so worth it, either yeah. the listen or the read. It's a tale of revenge, government intrigue, plots of assassination, all the things you want in a good conspiracy story. For those of you who haven't seen the movie or read the book, it follows the hero Edmund Dantes, who's betrayed by his best friend and his colleague who accuse him of being a Bonapartist traitor. So this takes place during the time of Napoleon Bonaparte. He's arrested, thrown into this horrible prison called the Chateau d'If. And basically, while he's there, a priest helps him both escape and gives him a proper education, which he didn't have before, and equips him with all the intellect that he needs to seek revenge. I will see you in hell! And there's so much more than that. I feel like that summary doesn't do it justice, but... Yeah. It's really good. It's another book that I ashamedly have not read yet. Come on, man. I love the movie and I'm just like, you know, I need to just get into another long book. I think the last really long book I read was was good, but it was it was another 50 hour ish book. And I was just like, I have to space those out. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I want to get into this one. I just realized how much of um, Red Rising is kind of influenced by this as well. I could totally see that. Now thinking a street urchin who gets an education and pretends to be somebody else to get revenge. Yeah, it's it's uh, the movie is great. The the Jim Caviezel one I like a little bit better than the old one. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's just because I like newer movies sometimes. But uh, yeah, it's an amazing story. And I really want to get into the book. Um, So for for me, I also picked one that I think is a good book and also a, a great set of movies, an older one, a newer one, which is The Manchurian Candidate. For people know this was written by Richard Condon, and I'm just going to read you guys the quick summary that you get off of Amazon. It says, Sergeant Raymond Shaw is a hero of the First Order. He's an ex-prisoner of war who, who saved the life of his entire outfit, a winner of the Congressional Medal of Honor, and the stepson of an influential senator, and the perfect assassin. Brainwashed during his time as a POW, he is a sleeper, a living weapon to be triggered by a secret signal. He will act without question, no matter what order he's made to carry out. And what's so interesting about uh, this is this actually was written, because I'm sure if you're conspiracy-minded, you're like, oh, this is MKUltra. This was written before MKUltra. And it's actually part of the inspiration that they used for trying to create assassins and things like that. So... Um, really good book. The, the original movie and the book is more honest about communism. Whereas the new one is interesting to me because of the Hillary Clinton figure. It's definitely Hillary Clinton, I think. Um, and Denzel Washington's just really good. So, uh, I would recommend a great actor. I would recommend the book or, or the movies for sure. I'll be honest. I know that's a good book, and I've heard so many good things about it, but I haven't read it. <gasps> have you? I seen- need to move that one up on my list. Have you? Have you seen either of the movies? I haven't. Oh man, yeah, yeah. Move that one up on your list for sure. Uh, what do you got for us at number eight? All right. So for number eight, moving into a little bit of the young adult fiction, I have Little Brother by Cory Doctorow. So basically it follows these four teenagers who are playing this alternative reality game 
and they get in trouble with the Department of Homeland Security while playing the game, and they're taken in and questioned under suspicion of terrorism. And these kids who are brilliant hackers, genius tech whizzes, uh, they find so much dirt on the Department of Homeland Security. This is a good young adult novel for introducing uh, those younger readers to the idea that maybe the government isn't as good as they claim to be. My theory on feds is they're like mushrooms. Feed them shit and keep them in the dark. Yeah, this one sounds interesting. I have never heard of this one, um, but uh, you said it's a young adult novel. How how old would you say before I let my kids read something like this one? Is it- I'd say 13 is a good age. That's when I read yeah. it. Uh, not too much younger than that. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, I just I would love to introduce my kids to to some of those concepts, whereas some of the other books that I might introduce them to are a little 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 much for for where they're at now. My, right. my oldest is eight, so cool. Yeah, for me uh, at number eight, I put uh, as I said, I was going to do some nonfiction, and I would put what I think is the most important book to read for modern times, and that is the Great Reset. And the reason for this. I mean, there's many reasons. It talks about what the World Economic Forum is up to. It talks about things like ESG, which, by the way, I got like a lot of comments in the last two days asking me what ESG is based on one of my recent posts. It stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance, which is a social credit system for businesses. It's not trickled down to the individual level yet like it has in China, but we're on that track. And we've got places like BlackRock that are implementing this, that People and the government have told us it's too big to fail. So this covers all of those things. It covers things like modern monetary systems. Uh, it talks about, I don't know if I said this, the the global warming and how, how and why they use this. Agenda 21, which is now Agenda 2030. It's everything that's going on right now. It's, it's literally the Great Reset, which all of the world leaders have talked about. So I, I could go on about it for a long time. But what I'm saying is I will not live in the pod. I will not eat the bugs. I will not consume. Whether you like Glenn Beck or not, he's a great researcher. This book is really heavily researched. It's really well sourced. If you buy the physical copy, you can see all the sources and links and things like that to check it out for yourself. It's basically someone who just read the World Economic Forum's website for a long time and told you exactly what they're planning on doing. So highly, highly recommend uh, The Great Reset. And one of the things that we were talking about a little bit before we started streaming was this is why, like, this book is why I try to buy the hardcover of the really important conspiracy books. I was listening to it on Audible originally, and not only do you get all the sources and stuff in the book, but he made a good point. He's like, this literally could get taken down. And we've seen that happen with a lot of right. a lot of controversial books right now. And you know, you gotta you gotta own everything else. You're renting. You know what I mean? As much as I love Audible, you're you're essentially renting things. So. Uh, Yeah, I'm also a big believer in in Audible, but as you can see with my bookshelves, you know, there's something to be said about having the hard copy of the book. Right. Yeah. Uh, So let's see. We're on to number seven now. What's what's your number seven for us? All right. So number seven is actually a whole series. It is another young adult series, but I would say older young adult, maybe uh, 16, 17, those older teens. It is called the Unwind series by Neil Schusterman. So this takes place during, in the United States, sometime in the future, after the Second Civil War, which is fought over abortion. And they call this war the Heartland War. And they compromise, so there's no more abortion, but now parents can sign an order between the ages of 13 and 18 to be unwound. And by unwound, I mean taken apart limb from limb while they're still alive, 
and have those parts sold off. It's really horrible and really tragic, but the cons- the deeper conspiracy underneath is that this doesn't need to happen. And you find that out slowly as you go throughout the series. I'm not going to say why that is, but definitely it's spooky. It's horrifying. The characters are well-written. I can't say enough good things about this series. I've heard of Neil Schusterman. Is he is he a Christian author? Is he someone that I would know from another book? Or uh, He has lots of popular books. The series I finished recently by him is Scythe. I would not call him a Christian. He's definitely been manipulated by his publishers, I think, hmm. because the Unwind series is probably the most pro-life series I've no, ever read That's why I asked, because it seems just from yeah. the outset that this is like blatantly pro-life, which you don't normally see from any you know mainstream author. And he, all of his books deal with very challenging concepts. So the size series deals with the life and death. But then in the last book, he has to throw in a transgender character. And I do think part of that is the manipulation from the publishers. You would, th- you would think about after writing a book of, hey, we went from abortion to just uh, mutilating children. Master Skywalker, there are too many of them. What are we going to do? <laughs> that he wouldn't. Right. <laughs> I will. I, I and Loki. I think he predicted the future of transgenderism with this book because this came out when I was a teenager. That's what. Like that was the first thing I thought of. Was it sounds like the transition of like, well, we're not we're not able to kill as many children. What if we just uh, make them unable to breed in the future? It's the population control right. thing, right? Uh, I will say this is a perfect time to mention that uh, Hawkhound Media, if you guys are following, uh, if you're listening to this later as we put this out, you guys can get all of this content. We're going to be doing more content where we do crossover stuff and other stuff that you're not getting on our normal weekly streams over on YouTube.com slash Hawkhound Media. And Hawkhound Media is sponsored by our great pro-life friends over at North Arrow Coffee. And if you guys want some delicious, amazing coffee, that is roast to order. It's single origin. It's really high quality coffee. And 15% of every order goes to pro-life causes. You can go to northarrowcoffee.co slash hawkhound and get uh, 10% off. So uh, I just I couldn't think of a better time to bring that up than right now. Um, my book for number seven is The Devil and Karl Marx. Is this one you ever heard of? No, I haven't. So this is by Paul Kangor. And the reason I put this in here is because I feel like so so much of the conspiracy stuff is missed by not understanding the history of communism, uh, not understanding the history of Marxism in, in general. Uh, this book has just an absolute scathing review of communism. It goes into areas that you never would have thought of, the infiltration of churches, the infiltration of the school boards in New York in the 1950s. Like I think they said like – I don't remember the statistics, but you'd be surprised at how many teachers were like card-carrying communist members and what that really meant because I think – you know, we hear from the other side, uh, wasn't it awful that they, you know, tried to kick the card-carrying communist members out of Hollywood? Wasn't so bad. And we forget that those are the people who stole the nuclear secrets and gave them to Russia. We forget that right. when you're a card-carrying communist member, you've literally betrayed your you, – you've committed treason because you've you've uh, taken an oath to betray your country for a foreign power. Um, and it just goes into so many more things. And, and the reason why this one, I think, is one of the greatest – takes on on communism and Marxism is because it's not afraid to talk about the demonic nature of Karl Marx himself and the fact that he was very likely a a demon struggle with demon possession and things like that. So it goes into everything. It's 
I've read so many books on communism, and I have to say this is the greatest one. And if you're a conspiracy-minded person, you can't ignore all of the stuff that's going on with Marxism, the, the, the Frankfurt School. All of it's so important. It goes into every aspect of it. So this is, I think, the greatest uh, single book to understand the entirety of that subject. So, uh, again, that's The Devil and Karl Marx by Paul Kanger. So I'm going to have to add that one to my list, too. It's very, awesome. very good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. What do you got for us at number six? All right. So my number six is kind of tied. I have two works by H.G. Wells, both The Time Machine and War of the Worlds. So if you know anything about War of the Worlds, you know it's basically aliens coming to take over the planet. And this one's really interesting because originally it was played over the radio uh, and people thought aliens were actually going to come and take over the planet. That is the whole problem with aliens is you just can't trust them. Occasionally you meet a nice one, Starman, E.T., but usually they turn out to be some kind of big lizard. Do you, have you heard of that? Not only have I heard of it, in high school I did a radio production of War of the Worlds, an entire, that is the so whole, cool. however many hours long it took. And I was uh, in charge of mixing and, and producing and all the whole deal. So I'm very familiar with War of the Worlds. <laughs> It that was, explains so much why you're a podcaster It now. was my first experience in live streaming audio. Yeah, it, it was long. So a lot of, lot of mistakes made. <laughs> I was, you know, 16. But uh, yeah, War of the Worlds is great. And I, I'm, I hate to do this, but I keep talking about things like Project Bluebeam. And now that we're talking about War of the Worlds, I'm like, this sounds like an early run of convincing people about aliens. Oh, buddy, I got to dig a little deeper. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, very I interesting totally for a lot of reasons, that. right? Yeah. So now with our new technology, because that that freaked you know people out. Uh, I can't remember when it happened. That freaked people out over the radio. Could you imagine with hologram projectors right. and the news media being what it is, uh, CGI stuff like that? How they could freak people out now? Right. Yeah. So that's crazy. All right, and so the other one is the Time Machine. It's a shorter book. I don't know if it's technically why it's a classic. I know I read it in high school. Um, but basically a time traveler goes to the year 802,701, some crazy year in the future, and meets an alien race called the Eloi. I think that's how you say that. I'm going to go with it. And it's a society of small, elegant, childlike adults. And they have kind of like this perfect uh, communistic society. I'm going to say air quotes perfect because then the time traveler meets the Morlocks who are basically living in darkness underground and they're exploited by the Aloe to keep their society running. Yeah. So even in a perfect society in the future, there's always going to be people that you're building that, you know, on the backs right. of. Yeah. Is that the same one that was made into a movie with, um, Oh gosh, I can't think of his name, but it was, was this one made into a movie? It was made into Guy a Pierce. movie. I've never seen it though. With Guy Pierce, I think. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I have no clue. I've never read the book, but I know in the movie he keeps trying to travel backwards in time to save his fiance, and then he ends up going forward in time like crazy far. But I haven't seen the movie in a long time, so I was wondering mm -hmm. if it was the same. It probably is the same. I think it's called the. Time it probably time. is. I don't remember anything about a fiance, but he was trying to travel back in time, but accidentally goes forward in time. Okay. Yeah. So it's probably the same. Um. I'll have to check that one out. Uh, my number six is A Killer in the Wind by Andrew Clavin. Have you read this one? I have not. So I, I really dig Andrew Clavin stuff. And there's a 
there's a few books that I could have put here as far as like conspiracy related. The, another kingdom would be one that I feel like he kind oh, of predicted yes. the Epstein thing, but a uh, killer in the wind I put here because it's, it's a very, it's a very dark book, but it's because it's dealing with child sex trafficking and things like that. And if you're, you know, in the conspiracy world, that's a huge thing that everybody's, you know, concerned about talking about. And this book does a really good job of showing just how, those things can go unnoticed, just how those things can actually be carried out. It's not, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's just, this just happens all the time in the real world. And it's about someone who was trapped as a child and, and uh, fights back as an adult. And it's, it's a very good book. I don't want to say much more than that to spoil any of it, but uh, it, a killer in the wind by Andrew Clavin. That's, that's my number six. So I'm going to have all these great new books to read. I know. I feel that's what I was trying. I was trying to give you some stuff that you haven't heard of since you're giving me stuff that, well, I've heard of most of these, but <laughs> I just haven't gotten around to reading them. So adding them to my list. Well, this is another one you should get around to uh, reading. My so number sister five, has told me, yeah. It, <laughs> the Giver by Lois Lowry. You haven't read it? No, she keeps telling me to read it. <sighs> Come on, man! <laughs> I need to. That kills me. It's yeah. so short. You could read it in an hour. Is it really that short? It really is that short. I might short. just listen to it tonight at work. Honestly, you should. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. but And it's crazy because it covers so much in such a short amount of time. So basically, this is a dystopian society in the future that has taken pain and suffering away by converting everybody to sameness, which has also eradicated emotional depth from everybody's life. Um, there's no color, there's no fun, there's no anything except just sameness. And everybody is allotted what they're going to be when they grow up. Uh, so this young boy, Jonas, is selected to be the receiver of memory. So he gets all of the memories of the time before sameness. And this deals with some crazy things like mind control through the use of drugs, infanticide, genetic engineering. It's all types up the alley for conspiracy theorists. Yeah. No, I, super short. I have heard so much about this. and I probably know the whole plot, but it's still one that I really want to want to get into. You probably do know the whole plot. Yeah. I think so much of the dystopian literature that has come out in modern day has drawn something from the giver. I'm sure it has. Yeah. Uh, my number five is a really, really fun book. Uh, I'm going to recommend is the Mothman Prophecy by John Keel. And I will say this right up front. If you've seen the movie, you have no idea because the movie's awful and the movie has nothing to do with the book. Um, this is where this is where I say it's like nonfiction, maybe. But uh, it's it's a really interesting book about uh, the Mothman incident that was happening in Point Pleasant in the late 50s and early 60s. It goes into a lot of stuff with the men in black, kind of introduces the men in black stuff. Um, I, I think I think that John Keel is actually reporting on things that people told him. Some of the stuff That's you might great. not believe, but it is an absolutely insane book. It's one of my favorite conspiracy nonfiction books, I guess, because it reads like just a fantastic novel. Um and That's we're going to be covering kind of nonfiction, right? Yeah. And, and we're going to be covering this on conspiracy on conspiracy pills at some point, but it is, I had Abby read it recently and she loved it as well. So we're kind of digging into uh, some other John Keel books as well. Cause he's just such a fascinating uh, reporter writer of, of conspiracy stuff. So uh, without giving much away. Yeah. It's about a cryptid. It's about the men in black. It's about all kinds of stuff. It, it really goes all over the place and it's completely 
fascinating, riveting throughout. So it's not just like some of the conspiracy books where you're like, I just want the information, but I'm not entertained. This is both. You're getting a lot of information. It's in, in, insanely entertaining. Uh, highly recommend. So oh, that sounds really good. Yep. What's uh, what do right. you got for number four? All right, so for number four, I have Slaughterhouse-Five. It also has another title called The Children's Crusade, A Duty Dance with Death by Kurt Vonnegut. This book is really um, weird. It's told all out of order. We don't really know who the narrator is, but I'm pretty sure it's Kurt Vonnegut. Um, There's time travel and aliens. Basically, death means nothing to everyone. These aliens called the, what is it? The Traumadorians. I'm going to say that wrong. Uh, are the thing that have like a head like a plunger with a hand on it and an eyeball in the middle? It's weird. You would make a good Dalek. Um, But it's crazy. So if you like aliens, if you like an unreliable narrator, it's a good story. It's, it's crazy though. It's incredibly weird. I will say I personally don't like this book, but that might like for me, it's just the fact that I have a hard time with like really trippy movies and really trippy novels. It is really it's trippy. really trippy. It feels like you're on an uh, on an acid trip with the author for a few hours. And it's not very That's long. Right. Um, but it, it's, it is interesting. I think it's worth reading, even though it's not my cup of tea. Um, and I think the other thing that was hard for me is like, it had a very, maybe this is just me. It had a very much like, how do, how do I put this? It, like it, to me, it was like, Hey, we never should have gotten involved in world war two is the whole thing. It feel, felt like at the end. And it's hard for me mm-hmm. to look back historically and think, like that we didn't I do I think a lot of good. people felt that way at the time because yeah. they knew so many people who died and there's just a lot of emotions behind right, that. Yeah. Uh, logically speaking, you know, I think you're right. We needed to get involved, but just if you know people who died, you have a lot of grief. Which, in your which yeah, I think it actually as a, a second uh, read through of it, I was like, it actually made like the guy is someone who was there in, in the book. Right? right. So it's like, he has every right to be like, you know, feel the way he feels about it. It was just, I think for me, it's just the trippiness of it. I'm, I've never liked stuff like all his writings are like that though. I feel like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was always on LSD. I'm entirely sure he was. (laughs) So yeah, it's, that's just why it's not for me. I've never liked, like I said, 2001, a space odyssey or any of the, I I hate Alice in Wonderland. I just never could get into anything. That's too, drug trippy. I don't know. It's just personal. Um, for me, I decided I say all that to then give you one. That's like being on a trip, of course, uh, for me. And that's why I put it here for me. I put the secret history of twin peaks and I know that Uh, Jess is a fan of twin peaks. Um, twin peaks also super trippy and super weird. It's so weird. I, I, I love Twin Peaks, but it is so weird. And this book is fascinating to me because this is written by Mark Frost. And if you're a fan of Twin Peaks, uh, the show at all, you know that the original two seasons, I'll say, we'll, we'll save the third for another discussion. The original two seasons were really great because they were a collaboration between Mark Frost and, yep, just forgot his name. <laughs> I can't remember the David other guy's Lynch. name either. Uh, Mark Frost and David Lynch. And David Lynch That's has that it. like really trippy weirdness to him. And Mark Frost has that like really connecting the dots conspiratorial brain. 
So this came out before season three, and I was so hyped for season three. I read this book, and I was even more hyped because I, I realized that my favorite part of Twin Peaks is probably actually more Mark Frost than David Lynch. Um, mm-hmm. This is an FBI agent digging through documents. And the reason I suggest this one to every conspiracy theorist is not only is it great historical fiction, but there are so many times in the book where the FBI agent will be taking notes on the documents and saying, I looked in the library of Congress. This is real. Or I checked this out. It's real. That's not for, that's not part of the fiction. That is true. Every time that the margins tell you that she looked into this and it was real, you can guarantee that you, if you look into it, you'll find out that it's, it's real. So it's it, crazy. It goes through like all of this, like Freemasonry, Illuminati conspiracy, alien stuff. It talks about Roswell and it goes all the way back to the founding of the nation and the conspiracies there, Lewis and Clark all the way up to modern time stuff. So it is just jam packed with this like connection of, of conspiracy, even talking about L Ron Hubbard and uh, Alistair Crowley. It's got something for every type of conspiracy and every conspiracy theorist And it's woven into this really fantastic uh, historical fiction novel. And if you like Twin Peaks, you're going to love it. I I need to read. Did you like season three? I just have to ask really quick. Okay. Nobody did. I feel like I I almost at this point want to rewatch season three just because I understand more of the symbolism now. And I feel like maybe there's more hidden Mm. stuff there. But yeah, that was hard. So like this to me got me so hyped for season three. And then season three was a disappointment. But this book, I, I always suggest people, if you want to get into Twin Peaks, watch the, the first two seasons and read this book and then just walk away before being massively disappointed. <laughs> well, actually, if you like Twin Peaks and you like this book, you also need to play the game Deadly Premonition, which is 100% inspired by Twin Peaks. It is so good. I added that to my Steam wish list last night off of your recommendation. So that is oh, that, that is, is my so next great. horror You're game gonna that love I'm going to play for sure. Uh, let's see. That was number four. What do we got for number three? I'm going to feel, I see your list. I'm going to feel so guilty because <laughs> I haven't read this and I hate admitting that I haven't read this. Why am I such a loser? Why? Especially since, you know, you have to have the hard copy of the book. I know that. And this is another one I know a ton about and I have not read. And I feel very That's guilty. a real tragedy. It okay. Is. So yeah. since we've teased you, the book is Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. And the story is people are booing me in the, in the chat right now. People, no, right. Not, not that we're live streaming, but people are like, I can see the comments coming. Yeah. Hip, hip. Oh. Hip, hip. Oh. Hip, hip. Oh. Like all the hate for PJ. Yeah, I deserve Go it. Read Fahrenheit I deserve it. Shame, shame on me. Yeah, basically in this society, books are outlawed and firemen aren't putting out fires. They're starting them by burning all of the books. And the novel follows Guy Montag, a fireman who becomes disillusioned with the role of censoring literature and destroying knowledge and eventually quits his job and commits himself to the preservation of writing. It's a very powerful book. I can't recommend it enough to anyone. And it's another one that's super short. Yep, I know that. And it's also sitting in my Audible library, and I have not listened to it yet. So, ah, shame on Tragedy. me. Shame on me. I know. Uh, my number three is a book called Propaganda by Edward Bernays. And this is uh, very interesting. If you don't know who Edward Bernays is, he is the propagandist of propaganda. And this is a look into his take on propaganda, the things that he's done and how he's used it and kind of turned what wasn't originally exactly a dirty word into an entirely dirty word. 
And if you want to know more about Edward Bernays, he was the uh, his uncle was Sigmund Freud, and he is the uncle of Mark Randolph, who is the CEO of Netflix. So if you want to talk about a history of controlling people's minds in America, uh, read Propaganda by Edward Bernays. Get a peek into his mind, understand the role that Sigmund Freud had, and now his nephew Mark Randolph has in the propaganda they push on to you through uh, Netflix. So it's wow. pretty insane. Like it literally, it goes into, it, it talks about how at one point, this is just one example. Well, two examples. One that I agree. These are, these are actually good examples though, but like <laughs> the power of his propaganda, but these two stuck in my head because one of them was bake, basically he made bacon a breakfast food through, mm-hmm. through the use of, of propaganda, uh, which I'm cool with. Right, I love bacon. The the other one was they start like he knew that if they made every single Hollywood movie where the couple was playing a piano in their living room, that people would start buying pianos, thinking, "Oh, this is a normal thing to have a piano in your house. This is how you entertain guests. This is like a normal." So, like at that time, piano sales like went through the roof because that was his job. And there's so there's like the sales marketing type stuff, but there's also the much more nefarious side of all the propaganda that he he was able to push. So it's it's interesting. How, just how it's effective like all the fast was. food being red and yellow. Also, it, the it's, same yeah, colors it's as the all, communist flag. It's all. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you're hungry, you know, you know, communism. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 good, though. Um. What? So what do we got at number two? All right. So number two, I might get hate for putting Orwell at the number two spot, but there is a book that's better and I think better for conspiracies. So. It's I'm going to say a tie between Animal Farm and 1984 Animal Farm for our younger readers and 1984 for everybody else. I absolutely love these books. And I'm going to say this about 1984. It is a book that has been hurt by its own success in a lot of ways. I know it really has because it it, it actually is so poignant and so uh, prophetic and so good yet. It's it's been overstated maybe sometimes, and I don't think it actually is overstated. I think people just use it so much that it just starts to not matter to them. It all starts with a quick look-see into someone's bag, and then it's a brisk peekaroonie at our phone records. And before you can say 1984, the thought police are forcing forcing you to bend and spread. And that's why I always and people who listen to me will will probably get annoyed with me saying this, but I'm going to keep saying it because nobody ever gets it. Nobody ever talks about the end of 1984 correctly. Thank you. Yes. It, it, it drives me nuts because people, the, the phrase, if you're familiar or even if you haven't, you've all heard two plus two equals five. That's not the point. Like no. it's not that they're lying to you. It's that in the end, when he's taught, when, when the main character is tortured into giving to saying what the government wants him to say, he says two plus two equals five and they continue to torture him. That's not the end goal. The, what they want him to say is two plus two equals whatever the party wants it to be. So the point isn't that they're trying to get you to lie. It's that they're they don't it doesn't matter that you said the thing right. It's that you have to continue to change based on what they are telling you today. So we've seen this a million times. I mean, this is a huge part of conspiracy. It's a huge part of what's going on in the world right now is you know, one you can say contradictory things as long as it's the correct party approved thing. You can say right. the, the one thing today, but tomorrow it's the wrong thing. And we see this in Hollywood with people getting canceled with they were woke 10 years ago. But today, that thing they said 10 years ago isn't woke enough and it doesn't mesh with the new. So like that's the point I think everybody misses. So that one's great. And then I recently reread Animal Farm and I forgot how amazing that book is. Animal Farm is so good. I read it when I was in high school. I didn't really get it. 
but reading it again as an adult, it is so powerful. Again, another short one. And I find it so interesting that all of these stories that are targeted towards younger readers are way more impactful if you go back and read them as an adult. Right. Like, it's supposed to be an allegorical novel. All the animals call each other comrade. I mean, they're overthrowing the humans. And I love what they paint at the top of the barn. All animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. Like It's a powerful line. Hits. It's a powerful line. And it's a powerful book. I, I read it in high school, and then I read it again as an adult. And I was like, wow, that's even better than I remembered. And it's even more powerful. I think Animal Farm gets overshadowed by 1984, whereas I, I think Animal Farm is actually... I'm not saying it's a better book than 1984, but I think it's, I think in some ways it's more powerful. It says what 1984 wants to say uh, more succinctly, I would say. Yeah. And I would say this too about Orwell. Orwell is like C.S. Lewis in this way where he writes really important concepts in ways that everybody can understand. And I don't know. I I think that's, I think that's powerful. Like you said, children can read Animal Farm and get something out of it. So, but it's, it's something that's powerful. So and he's another one of those authors where his writing doesn't really reflect his personal beliefs, which is very interesting to me. <laughs> yeah, he was a socialist originally. And I think by 1984, yep. he's questioning it. And I think it's a I think it's interesting because he's like, this is why socialism can be really bad. It's the thing I kind of believe in. But if I'm wrong, this is what this is where you get. So I find that really interesting. Yeah. yeah, he's an interesting character. Yeah, for sure. His whole life story is fascinating. Um, I picked a, a book that I think is our modern day 1984 for my number two spot. And that is the circle by Dave Eggers. And hmm. have you read this one? I haven't. The circle is essentially if Google took over the world is the best way oh, to, no. is the best way to put it. So you hear all, you know, all the ideas of, well, what if we just put tracking chips on our children so we could get rid of, you know, child abductions? Wouldn't that be a good idea? And it plays, it plays out all these ideas of this big brother, but in a friendly, we chose it, we signed the user agreement kind of way. And it it just, right. it takes it to its logical conclusion of a surveillance state of, you know, the whole deal. So the it is, it is essentially Google controlling the world. And it's... Oh, that's scary. It's very good. Yeah, I would, it's... It's kind of like 1984 where it's not really a happy novel, but it's it's an important one. So I think that is our modern day that one. 1984. Yep. And then uh, do we have some honorable mentions we want to get to before we get to, to number one? Uh, so some honorable mentions I'll just kind of put out there. Everyone's going to hate me for this one. I would say The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. The movie's trash. But let's put the or the TV show, whatever. The TV show is trash. Margaret Atwood's kind of gone back on what she said uh, and retconned a lot of what she wrote. But if you just read the book for what it is, it is very powerful and seeing how someone can manipulate what you believe to be true into something that is not true I'm a, and utilizing that to control society. I'm going to agree with you, actually. I read Margaret. Oh, yeah. I read it thinking that I was going to read a feminist trash novel. And, and it's not. It's not. It's not. I think even and, he, and here's the thing. She's kind of like Orwell in this way where I think she's a right. feminist. Uh, well, she is. I think I think she mm-hmm. has beliefs that aren't fully represented in this book. If you really read it. It's not it's actually more of a matriarchal control than a patriarchal one. And it's not it anti-Christian, is. it's anti-diluting the Bible and and forming it into your own thing. So, it's not making the the case that the Bible is is why these people are like this way. It's people who have right hidden the Bible from people and and misused it 
and there's a, a very matriarchal system. It's actually really negative against her feminist mother in the book yep. too. So I think it's actually a much more honest and interesting book than you're ever going to get from Margaret Atwood's later editions and the TV shows and stuff like that. So as much as I hate to give Margaret Atwood <laughs> any credit, I know. it is a better book than, than what it's been turned out to what it's been used for propaganda wise. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. The TV show is pure propaganda. I tried to watch it because I enjoyed the book and just don't hurt yourself like that. And I hate how she's retconned it so much because you can tell she's kind of working through her thoughts about feminism, her thoughts about government control and using uh, different ideas like that. Mm -hmm. It's too bad. The main character is happiest when she's married and has a child. It's the, right. And it's, it's the opposite low key super of pro life because the right. only reason they're doing this is because nobody can have kids. Yeah. It's really oddly not a left wing feminist novel. It, it when right. it's read honestly. Yeah. Uh, for me, I put rainbow six as one of my, uh, one of mine. It, it, it feels like it predicted the whole COVID thing is my point. <laughs> when I was reading it, I was like, Oh wow. This was like early nineties, I think. And uh, Tom mm-hmm. Clancy kind of predicted uh, all of the COVID stuff. Um, I got a few I, w- I would want to say, if, but I, w- I wanted to give you a chance to, if you had any more that you wanted to, to mention. Well, I'll just kind of throw Red Rising out there. We right. just talked about it. It's by Pierce Brown. Uh, if you want to catch our whole chat about Red Rising, go listen to it on Lit. It's a really good book. It gets on to how society can be controlled through caste. The power dynamic there is crazy. I think it's a great and it openly admits in the beginning what novels it draws inspiration from, which include the Count of Monte Cristo, which include 1984, include a brave new Mm -hmm. world. So it has a lot of the conspiracy stuff that you're going to want anyway. Uh, But it's just, I think the greatest uh, modern day series. So highly recommend. I I also added witness to Roswell for a very in-depth look at the Roswell conspiracy. If you are interested, that one is the most like in-depth. Um, if you like spy novels, I put Red Sparrow because I think that one's really interesting about like the CIA and communism and the Soviet Union. I wanted to I wanted to put Shutter Island because it's kind of conspiratorial and it talks about okay, HUAC and things that. like that. Uh, but this is one where I hate saying this. I actually think the movie's better than the book. And I am a I huge, could also see that. I'm a huge fan. I totally blank on the name because I do this all the time. Huge fan of the author, and I'm and I say that as I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> but he wrote uh, he wrote, um, wow. Am I really doing this right now? I'm forgetting everything. <laughs> he wrote gone baby gone and he wrote uh, mystic river and he wrote a bunch of other great novels and I'm totally mad at myself for not thinking of his name. The book, the only reason I recommend the movie over the book a little bit is because the last line of the movie is so powerful and it's not in the book and also the movie, uh, the movie and the book are hundred percent same outside of that except for that the movie does a really good job of like channeling Alfred Hitchcock, which I'm a fan of. So Mm. the book's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. But if you had to pick one, they're so much the same that I think the movie's better. Um, And then I put the fingerprints of gods. If you want fingerprints of the gods, if you want to delve into the ancient aliens type stuff is really interesting. And then one that I'm reading right now, the Illuminatus trilogy is interesting because it's basically this like, kind of satirical amalgamation of all of the conspiracies and uh so far it's interesting but it's one that i think it inspired the illuminati board game and then Mm. i i would i would be mad at myself i didn't mention behold a pale horse by william cooper 
it's really out there. It's not long. It's very interesting. It's kind of wild. But William Cooper is one of the you know biggest names in, in conspiracy. So those are some of mine. Did you have any more you wanted to get to before we get to number one? No, nah, let's get to number one. All right. What do you got for number one? All right. So I hadn't mentioned it earlier, so it has to come in now. That's Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we're living in his future. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When I was younger, I thought we would were heading more towards 1984, and now I realize it's actually closer to a brave new world. It's really a, a mixture of the two, I think. Yeah. But I, I, I don't like a brave new world to read as much as 1984, but I think it's closer to to the truth. I agree. It's as a read, I prefer 1984 and Animal Farm. Right. But Brave New World just has so much that we see in modern society it's set in a futuristic world where everyone is sorted out through genetic engineering uh they have this drug called soma that basically manipulates everybody's emotions and keeps them in this kind of mild state they have this all kinds of reproductive technology sleep learning psychological manipulation i mean it's crazy and really disturbing the child sexualization is really disturbing the desensitization to death is really disturbing but we see that like what's happening in canada with maids so i mean you know it's so much more reflective of what we're actually seeing and whereas orwell kind of reflected a world where there is an iron fist against sexualization yeah yeah here it's sexualization like crazy control through drugs and sex is more effective than control through yep. uh slavery and, and oppression and like you know a tight iron fist that's why i right. think aldous huxley as, as much as i don't fully actually enjoy the novel like as a read just to be completely honest um it's super depressing it is but his he's so he's so right on so many things like you said the the sexualization of children as we're seeing in in kindergartens today the use Ugh. of drugs the use of uh all yeah the whole it really the drugs and the sex thing is like where i think he got it 100 yeah. percent right and it's totally it's agree. probably more of an accurate view on uh control i think through in this in mm-hmm. society so yeah you ha- i think that one really deserves to be at number one for that reason alone as much as i again like i don't i don't right. personally like super enjoy reading it it's it it belongs there i think everybody should read it at least once and then reflect on what's going on and be like oh shit right yeah uh, my number one, I just want to put something that was really fun, and I know that we didn't touch on cryptids much at all, and I think this book has so much to do with, uh, I mean, it has way more to do than just cryptids, but it's a really good uh, book if you really want to understand all of the different cryptids and if you want to have a, just an entertaining series, and it touches on uh, these these ideas, I think, that's going on where, where we've kind of made the dark and evil things of this world look nice and friendly and cuddly and what mm-hmm. dangers that is uh, through stuff like Anne Rice and, and uh, <laughs> Twilight. Right. Um, that is the Monster Hunter series by Larry Korea. It is yes. one of my all time favorite series. Uh, they're just so incredibly fun. Yet they're I, so good. I kid you not. I reference them and I think about them a lot in, in when we're researching our shows. It just comes up all the time like, oh, yeah, that was something in in the monster hunter novels, or that was an idea from that, or that was a, like a cryptid or something that was in those. So it comes up all the time in my research, just my thoughts back to it. So if you want just super, super fun conspiracy cryptids, all of it, monster hunter international. 
I could totally see that. It's such a fun book. To me, it's like popcorn. I could sit there and listen to it or read it anytime. I mean, it, what a great story. What fun. It's, it is. It's it's one of the greatest like popcorn novels, yet it's deeper than that in so many ways. But yet it's just oh, it's yeah. just pure fun. They're just super great books. So I it had to be in there somewhere. I know that I think about it a lot when I'm doing my research. So I, I thought it'd be a great number one. Not that it's the most impactful, like A Brave New World or whatever, but just the most fun of, of probably any book that we've listed. Uh, that and mm-hmm. Red Rising is an honorable mention. Those are my some of my favorites. Just pure fun to read. So. I like wrapping up our lists on that note because so much of conspiracies can be so depressing and black pilly. Yeah. And it's <laughs> nice to have just a fun book that deals with cryptids and all of that. It's definitely a good read. Can't recommend that enough. That is something that me and Abby have talked about a lot. And I, I know people have noticed it's a comment we get a lot, but that is that is something that I just want to make sure that we're always keeping in mind is like not becoming black pilled and not becoming you know, just absolutely depressed about things. Right. You know, you gotta, you gotta find a way to laugh. You gotta develop a bit of a, de- a dark sense of humor and uh, you, you can't dwell in the darkness all the time. So if, if you want to get something that's still in that vein and you're not going to dwell in the darkness, that's why I recommended it. But I really, I really enjoyed doing this, Jess. This was a lot of fun. This was super fun. We need to do more crossovers like this in the future. Yeah, well, let us know in the comments what you think of this, what type of content you'd like to see from all of the hosts over at Hawkhound, because we're going to be continuing to do this type of stuff. Um, And again, uh, thank you guys so much for being here. And don't forget to check out Lit on Tuesday nights at 7 and Conspiracy Pilled on Wednesday nights at 7. We will see you guys next time. Peace out. God bless everyone. See ya.